this week, we take one step deeper into the teachings of Jesus known as the Sermon on the Mount. These teachings comprise chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. This is not only one of the most familiar parts of the Bible within the church, it is also one of the portions that has the greatest influence on the culture at large. That influence is particularly evident in today's passage. There are several little bits that work their way into, cultural, into the cultural milieu. Phrases like, not one iota, or not a jot or jittle. Both these phrases come directly from verse 18. Here translated, not one letter or stroke of, the, of a letter. The Greek specifically uses the phrase, not one iota. Uh, not one iota, one letter will be removed. The Greek um, iota is, is the ninth letter of the Greek alphabet. Uh, it's arguably the, the most simple stroke in Greek. So not one stroke will be removed from the law. We'll come back to that in a second. Then there are the songs from these passages, songs like the song we're going to sing here in a little bit, This Little Lot of Mine, Hiding Under a Bushel, No. These words are familiar. They're in our songs, and they're also in our colloquialisms. Our language is peppered with phrases like, That guy, he's salt of the earth. Dictionary.com defines that phrase as used to describe any simple good person. In general, it denotes a hard worker, usually with connotations of the working or middle class. It's one of those expressions that is dignifying, but its common use conceals its biblical origins. Last Monday at uh, Gary's memorial, a real salt-of-the-earth guy came up to me. He was an older guy with a big gray beard. Maybe some of you guys saw him around. I mean, his beard was, uh, you wouldn't have missed it. It was definitely the fullest and uh, strongest out there. The guy was a real character. And he came up to me after the service with real urgency. He wanted to tell me a story that he wanted me to share with all of you. He talked about how Gary had this extraordinary skill, not only as the manager he became, and not only as Gary the greeter, the way we knew him here, uh, as that, that compassionate and kind and gentle man, but Gary was an excellent machinist. This man said that uh, the work Gary did required immense focus, hours of concentration. If you made a mistake, even the thickness of a sheet of paper the metal you are working would be wasted. This man had been working at Bardex since before it was called Bardex, uh, he, and he was anxious to move up the ladder. So he asked Gary, who was his boss, for more responsibility, for a chance to, at the next tier job. About a week later, Gary brought him a piece of metal, and he asked him to cut it a certain way. The man went to work, and about an hour in, he made a mistake. Now 
this guy has been waiting for years for this opportunity. This was his chance, and he blew it. He was leveled. He said it was the low point of his life. They sucked up his pride and went back to Gary and said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. When he came into Gary's office and explained what had happened, Gary smiled and picked up another piece of metal that he had hidden under his desk. He said, I thought that might happen. (laughs) As he was telling me this story, the man stopped, looked straight into my eyes, and said, Gary lived God's grace. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the power of what the church has historically called bearing witness or revelation. We take the grace we know, the grace we have been given, and we show it to others. We all do this in our own ways. Some of us are priests, some of us are machinists, or teachers, or students, or parents, or children, or writers, or musicians, or historians, whatever. There are infinite ways of bearing witness. But at our best, the light we reveal sheds light somewhere others never knew it was dark. The late great songwriter Towns Van Zandt has a line about this. He says, there ain't no dark till something shines. That simple language echoes what everyone from Jesus in today's passage to Plato and the cave analogy in the Republic, what all those folks have been conveying, that most of the time we have no idea that life could be different. We have no idea of the transformative and revelatory possibilities right before us. You know, if you capture a bee in a jar, the bee will adjust to life in the jar. After a little while, you can open the lid of the jar and set it down, and the bee won't leave. It won't even know that it could leave. So completely will it adjust to its surroundings. There ain't no dark till something shines. This is something the recovery community knows particularly well. It's one of those things that addiction does well. Hide. Recovery communities say that with addiction, things don't so much appear as disappear. Money, substances, isolation, friends and family, all these things, they vanish. Addiction itself hides. Some of you uh, might have heard the the Fresh Air interview that was replayed with Mary Tyler Moore a couple weeks ago. In it, that amazing actress and comedian talks about how her alcoholism was distinct from her mother's. Her mother's drinking was immediately obvious. It had this big public face. 
But for Mary, like so many others, alcoholism was much sneakier. She said, I didn't even think I drank a lot. Her addiction was hidden from herself. She said, most alcoholics are in such a state of denial about their condition, they will blame everything but themselves for whatever is going on. Denial. There ain't no dark till something shines. When something does shine amidst the darkness, it's revolutionary. It means there's no going back. One place where the revolutionary aspect of revelation is perhaps most notable and celebrated is in the sciences. Isn't it crazy? Writer Marilyn Robinson uh, points out how odd this celebration is, how unique to that discipline. She says, the moment there is a major discovery and all previous assumptions are proven untrue, there is rejoicing in the scientific community. People celebrate when shown that they were wrong. Maybe a better way of saying that is that when we see truth, everything that's substituted for the truth becomes insignificant. For Marilyn Robinson, like Jesus, the revelation of truth is deeply tied to our identity. She says that as a collective, we don't know who we are. We long for that knowledge, that identity. We search for that meaning in sciences and the arts, and with relationships and religion. But Robinson sees the simple passage of time as our greatest tool. She says, human beings in acting out history describe themselves. And every life is a new description of what human beings are. Each of us tells the story of what it means to be human. Today, Jesus reminds us of the fullness of what it means to be human. He reminds us of, that our identity, our saltiness, is the flavor of God. Our light is God's light directing us all back to God. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Theologian Karl Barth clarifies the totality of God's work through us. In his work, Church Dogmatics, Barth describes this revelation as the knowledge of God through God and from God. Clear as mud, right? <laughs> that recursive language can be maddening. But what, Carl, what Barth means is that the process of revelation is God's light in each of us being recognized by the divine in each of us and confirmed as true. In other words, this little light of mine is not the ego acting out. It's not my call for attention. It's not some selfish expression for self-aggrandizement. That light that shines in you, that light that shines in me, when it is shining its clearest, is God's light revealing the grace that surrounds us where once we thought there was nothing but darkness. It reminds us that we can fly out of the jar. That light, like scientific discovery, is liberating. And that is religion 
at its best. It's not personal piety. It's liberation, good news for the poor, hope for the oppressed. That's what Isaiah is talking about when he reminds the religious folks what matters. That's what Jesus means when he says he didn't come to change the law, but to fulfill it. The law at its best is liberating. That's what Jesus means when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, don't look for piety. Don't substitute the light of God with the regimen of piety or selfishness. As Karl Barth said, faith is never identical with piety. Remember Isaiah. The sacrifice the Lord requires is justice. The law reveals how intimately we are connected to God and to one another. It dismisses the darkness that would tell you, you don't matter. You don't have a voice. You don't have hope. Or you are alone. Jesus is saying, you are a child of God. You carry that spark of the eternal let it shine. When the world gets dark, and the world gets dark, <laughs> let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Amen.